Welcome into another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Full house for you tonight. Corey Jason here alongside Ben Mandel, John Pauline, Dylan Mel. Guys, we have a lot to cover. Today's episode is going to be going into the NL East. Got a couple NL East fans here, so hopefully some good stuff, especially because they're the fans of a couple different teams. But let's start it off. Little WBC talk. World Baseball Classic did end. Japan beat the U.S. 3-2. to two. Had an incredible ending. Trout versus Otani. Teammates. Guys that never make it to the postseason. Actually playing in a championship game. And Otani just made Trout look like a fool. I had a lot of feelings about that game, to be honest. Paul Goldschmidt had the worst plate appearance, the worst approach to an at-bat I think I've ever seen, and I watch Aaron Hicks on a nightly basis. That was just incredibly difficult to watch. Trout looked like he belonged in double A with how Otani made him look. That slider to strike him out at the end was incredible. Trey Turner is Captain America. The Phillies might actually be America's team. But what? how do you guys feel about the WBC? What are your thoughts? Yeah, Corey. First off, I thought it was a spectacle and, you know, I'll shortly address it here. Anybody that said that the WBC shouldn't be happening, yada, yada, because of injuries, you know, that's just wrong. This was a fantastic showing from all the nations and it was great. And you couldn't have scripted a better ending. Otani, Trout, top of the ninth, two outs, full count, one run game. I mean... The MLB script writers or the WBC script writers are off to a great start. I agree with what you said, though. Team USA had some really bad plate approaches in this game. Seven runners left on through seven innings to start the game. Can't expect to win a lot of baseball games if that's how you're performing. And Otani definitely won the battle between himself and Trout. Yeah, I think that, you know, the WBC and how great it is can be summed up by, and I'm going to cross sports here. Connor McDavid, the best player in the NHL, who actually just scored his 60th goal the other day. He's one of five active players, I believe, in the NHL with a 60-goal season under his belt. And he still has like 12 games to play. Unbelievable year for him. But they asked him about, you know, if he saw Otani and Trout. And they asked him about the World Baseball Classic and if he wants hockey to maybe, like, they've tried the World Cup of Hockey. They do the Olympics. But the big thing Connor McDavid said is this is that on Otani and Trout was this is exactly what hockey has been wanting. And that's the best guy on the best guy in a big spot. Right. How awesome in the NHL would it be to see a Connor McDavid have like that one on one breakaway moment at the end of a game to try and score on Andre Vasilevsky or Ilya Sorokin or Igor Shosturkin, the three best goalies in the league. Like you truly had one of the best pitchers against one of the best hitters for a championship like a world championship that is what is great for the sport it couldn't have been scripted any better obviously outside of you know the u.s actually winning the game they did it they did it very well i think the injuries yeah it's tough to deal with but injuries are going to happen and you know part of the reason why they're happening is the timing of when this happens we've been stressing all throughout uh, spring training that the World Baseball Classic needs to be held at a different time. Now, in terms of the United States and their bad approach, I think that also can be chalked up to timing. I think that, you know, this is a group that maybe bought into the hype a little bit, but outside of a few good innings and that uh, game against Venezuela, 
they really didn't look great offensively throughout the tournament. They they had bursts and they had spurts where they were able to put together some hits and score some runs, but it, the offense really wasn't there, and that's part of the problem with having this tournament now. The guys aren't playing at in top form or top shape. It really does suck. And when you say best on best, you didn't truly get best on best in this game because the best pitchers for the United States weren't even on the roster. And that's kind of it leaves a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth, because as a United States fan and someone who was watching that game, you know, the United States should have had better pitching in this tournament. And they didn't just because of the timing when it was and guys who couldn't go because of how much money they had at stake. Yeah, guys, it was just an incredible tournament. I'm extremely happy with how it turned out. I can't wait for 2026. That'll be the next one. Hopefully the U.S. really sees what went wrong and they rectify it. Let me get, you know, Cole, Rodon, Scherzer, Verlander, Nolo, Wheeler, Kershaw, all these guys playing on the Team USA. That would just be so much fun to watch. On the timing side, it's been talked about a lot. But what seems to be the player sentiment behind it is if it's held in November, you'll get a lot less players actually playing because they just came off of a long season and they're just tired and worn out and wiped. That ultimately, aside from having it literally take up the whole month of July in a season, this is the best time because guys are back, they're fresh, and they're excited. And this is how, you know, they ramp up with in-game situations. So I don't know if there's a right answer, but either spring training or July seem to be the only plausible ways to get around this. But we do now have opening day coming up, and there's a couple really great pitching matchups that we're going to have to look forward to. So, guys, I'm going to give you six really good matchups that we're going to see on opening day. Opening day is March 30th next week. And you guys tell me which matchups you're most excited to see and how maybe you think these guys will fare. So we got Sandy Alcantara, Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom versus Aaron Nola, Garrett Cole versus Logan Webb, Framber Valdez versus Dylan Cease, Luis Castillo versus Shane Bieber, Luis Urias versus Zach Gallen. These are all incredibly fantastic pitchers, just really talented, starting it off which teams get their guy to start them off on the right foot, though? How do you guys feel about this? Well, I want to jump in and say that the two I am looking forward to the most. Obviously, I really am going to be looking forward to Scherzer versus Sandy Alcantara. Sandy Alcantara is such a dynamic arm. He's made some fantastic starts. And really, I've been saying this for the last couple of years, and while the Marlins have shipped some of these pitchers out, I really do think that they have some really, really talented arms there. Now, hopefully Sixto Sanchez can come back at some point and the Marlins rotation will be able to solidify and take shape a little bit more. But Sandy Alcantara is just awesome. He's dynamic. And I think the most exciting part about that is you get to see the new age versus the old age. Max Scherzer is on his way out, obviously, but he was still dominant last year, and I have no reason to believe he isn't going to be just as dominant again this year. I think the Mets are going to win the game just because they should have a better lineup. But don't be surprised. I just saw Sandy Alcantara uh, in his spring training outing on Friday. Eight strikeouts to start the game. 
That's pretty impressive, although Scherzer did go seven innings today as well. But the matchup I'm most excited for in terms of a pure baseball pitching standpoint it's Framber Valdez versus Dylan Cease. You guys heard how high I am on Dylan Cease and how much I think, how good I think he really is. But Framber Valdez and the Houston team, I don't care if they don't have Altuve, that team is going to be ready to play. They have loads of power. Those are going, I think that's a two, two of the top 10 pitchers in this league going head to head. And it really should be exciting. Yeah, I agree. I think those are some excellent points you made there, Ben. For me, my most exciting matchup actually comes as the nightcap. Shane Bieber versus Luis Castillo. I think these guys are both two AL Cy Young candidates that maybe you don't think of when you originally think Cy Young, just with guys like Cease, how we mentioned, Garrett Cole, Rodon, McClanahan, DeGrom now over there. But Bieber and Castillo should be a battle of some real forces. Castillo, full season with the Mariners. I'm very excited to see that. And the Guardians, Maybe a slept-on team still just for their style of play, but these should be two playoff teams, and we get to see them opening night. I think the matchup I'm most excited for is DeGrom versus Nola, even though you know they pitched uh, pitch each other against a lot when uh, DeGrom was on the Mets. I think it's just going to be fun to see how he does over there in Texas now and to see if Nola is the pitcher like he once was and if he still has the stuff to you know lead the, lead the Phillies to victory. Yeah, John, I just got to jump in. Obviously, as a Met fan, love Jacob DeGrom. He, he, I I have such a hard time saying he's still the best pitcher in the world because he's no longer a Met, but he's the best pitcher in the world when he's healthy. And you figure he's going to be healthy in there over there in Houston, but don't sell Aaron Nola short. This guy can pitch. He is the ace of the Philly staff, and while Zach Wheeler has been very good for them, the fact that Aaron Nola is still that number one I think is very telling. I am very excited for this matchup as well, John. Yeah, I'm incredibly excited to see the Grom down in Arlington with the Rangers taking on Nola. Nola, I still think, is a very underrated pitcher for the Phillies. That's the one I'm most excited to see, followed by Ben. You nailed it. Sandy Alcantara versus Max Scherzer. Sandy's coming off of a Cy Young Award win. Max is Mad Max. I mean, Hall of Famer, just incredible pitcher. And quite frankly, you guys are glossing over maybe a uh, real dark horse now for the AL Cy Young and Garrett Cole. Him versus Logan Webb, the arson judge game. I think if Cole can get this uh, game going and start off right and not have a freak out like he did last year, Oh, everything's taking too long. Yeah, I, I didn't get my pitches out in time. I think that could really set the tone for this Yankee season versus a pretty good Giants team. Yeah, Corey, I, I agree. I think Logan Webb is definitely someone who's overlooked a bit, and I think he's a very underrated pitcher. I think Garrett Cole is still Garrett Cole, and it's easy to look at the money he's gotten and say, oh, he hasn't really produced for that, but he really has. He's quietly been great for the Yankees, and the biggest reason for that is because he's had a few clunkers in there, but every pitcher has clunkers. Everybody has clunkers, you're right. His are just really brought up upon because he pitches in the biggest market with the most win-hungry fan base, I guess you could say, because once you've tasted it once, you want it back for more and more. And the Yankees got wins a whole lot, and they're just dying to get back to the promised land. And every stinker of a start from Cole really makes it like the world's on fire. Everything's crashing and burning. Well, you give a guy that much money, you expect him to be perfect. And it's just not fair. It's, you do, and it really isn't fair for Cole. 
And then Logan Webb on the other side, just a very solid pitcher. Another one we didn't talk about, though, Luis Urias versus Zach Gallen, Dodgers versus the Diamondbacks. And I think Zach Gallen's been incredibly going beneath the radar with how well he's pitched. I think he could be a bona fide ace. He's a pitcher I'm really excited to see take another step forward. I wouldn't be surprised if Gallen actually came out and won this game dominating that surprisingly weak Dodgers lineup that we talked about an episode ago. But let's get into the meat of this episode. We got the NL East. Last year was a dogfight at the top of that standings. The Atlanta Braves did end up winning it with a record of 101-61. and The Mets were tied with them, but the tiebreakers didn't go in their favor. They were also 101-61. The Phillies, the World Series losing, but they made it. Phillies were that seventh wild card, that final wild card. They were 87 and 75. The Miami Marlins, 69 and 93. Washington Nationals were a league worst, 55 and 107. And quite frankly, let's just start with them. Their rotation is, I mean, I don't want to even say horrible. They're just bad. They're trotting out Patrick Corbin, Josiah Gray, Trevor Williams, Mackenzie Gore, Chad Cool. Steven Strasburg's hurt again, guys. He's got thoracic outlet syndrome. His timetable's unknown. I don't know if he'll ever play again, quite frankly. It's just way too much. You have to you have to relearn how to throw baseball when you have thoracic outlet syndrome. They're removing a rib. That's what happened to Matt Harvey. He lost five miles an hour and he was in the prime of his career. Yeah, it's just a really disappointing thing to see happen to a pitcher. Their lineup catching for them, Kiebert Ruiz, first base. Former Met superstar Dom Smith, second base Luis Garcia, third base Heimer Candelario, shortstop C.J. Abrams, left field Corey Dickerson, center field Victor Robles, right field Lane Thomas, D.H., Joey Menendez. And uh, guys, this goes back to the Strasburg conversation we had a couple seconds ago. Will he ever pitch again? What's going on with him? What do we expect from him if he ever gets back on the field? Yeah, you know, Corey, I'm not sure if he ever will pitch again. You'd think if this team was in a contending position, perhaps there'd be more of a rush for him to come back. I could see him perhaps having like a farewell stint out of the bullpen later in the season if he decides he's going to hang it up. But with this Nationals team, the story that I really want to focus on, because we all know that they're going to be bad, odds are that they finish worse than division. But I'm looking forward to seeing how both C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore perform with a full season with this team. These were the two pillars of that Juan Soto deal. You look to hit the reset button. Do these guys show sparks of greatness to where you can build up this franchise yet again? Yeah, I agree. And there's a third member, and it's the catcher, Cabert Ruiz. This is a guy who can hit the baseball. Watched it a bit last year. He is very good. Really enjoyed watching him play, and I'm I'm actually happy he's going to get the chance to go play. I really do think he can be something special. But Cabert Ruiz is someone who they brought in for Trey Turner uh, last year when they sent him to the Dodgers. And Cabert Ruiz is someone who has a ton of pop out of the catcher position. I think what the Mets are hoping Francisco Alvarez will be is what Caber Ruiz is right now. Plus, he's got a cannon of an arm, and that's going to be huge with the way teams are going to steal bases this year. 
I think Caber Ruiz might just be their best player right now because a lot of the people they have, I don't think there's any like superstars. They have a lot of like good young players that are promising, but like no one's really come out and shine yet. But I think Caber Ruiz has done the most. Yeah, the Nats are definitely going to be tough to watch though, guys. As much as we can bring up all the good stuff and all the positives they have, it really can only go so far. They don't they don't have that superstar they had with Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, even Anthony Rendon. They just they're falling by the wayside. They don't have a great farm system, even after all these trades. And especially now that they don't they can't tank for the first pick anymore. You have that draft lottery. It's just gonna be a lot of tough time down in DC. But, you know, a place that's not going to have a tough time this year, Atlanta. Guys, this team might be the most complete team in all of baseball, bar none. The rotation, Max Freed, Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, Kyle Wright. That fifth spot's either going to be Jared Schuster or Dylan Dodd. We don't really know. And then don't forget, Mike Soroka's waiting. He had a hammy injury that got him optioned to AAA. That kind of took him out of the running for that five spot. He hadn't played since August 2020, though, so he's coming back. Their lineup in Atlanta, catcher Sean Murphy, first base Matt Olson, second base Ozzy Albies, third base Austin Riley. Now, guys, again, this is their starting lineup. This isn't an all-star team. Shortstop Orlando Arcia, left field Eddie Rosario, center field Michael Harris II, right field Ronald Acuna Jr., DH Marcelo Zuna. This is just an incredibly complete team. So my questions to you guys, is this the most complete team on paper? And also, what do we expect from Soroka if he's ever able to get back on the rubber, especially since he hadn't pitched in almost three years? I think Soroka is a huge question mark, and I think the Braves at this point are any are looking at this as if they can get anything out of Soroka, that's a plus. I mean, he tore his Achilles as soon as he got back on the mound – hurt again. Now he's got the hamstring that gets him sent down to AAA. I'm not too sure Mike Soroka really is going to have much left. And it's a shame because even though he is on the, I would say the Mets biggest rival currently, it's a shame that a special pitcher isn't going to get to true potential that he had. But with the Braves, I agree with you, Corey. While I think they might be one of the most complete teams in all of baseball, believe it or not, I think they actually got worse from last year. And hear me out. I think their rotation depth is still not there. They still don't have a fifth starter. And when you look at the Phillies and the Mets and the Marlins, those are teams that have more complete rotations. They may not have better names at the top, but they are more complete. They have more depth. You also look at the lineup. I think that Sean Murphy is a great catcher, but I think the ceiling that they had with William Contreras was definitely going to be higher than what Murphy's is. I don't know how much more Murphy, you know, is actually going to be able to produce. Usually once these guys do get extended like this and they get traded, they have maybe three or four years. I think Contreras's window is going to be a little bit longer. I think replacing Dansby Swanson with Arcia is also going to show. I don't think Arcia is bad, but they're going to miss some of that range. Swanson had a shortstop, and Swanson's bat provided a lot of pop in the middle of this order at times for this team, especially when they struggled and got out of the gate very slowly the last two years. So there is a lot 
of questions still, even though this is a complete team, just because of the competition they are going to be facing. Yeah, Ben, I think you bring up some great points there. However, this Braves team is still the definition of consistent, in my opinion. They'll have a full season of healthy Ronald Acuna back, no longer a year removed from his injury. Matt Olson, Austin Riley, the three of those guys at the top of the lineup may be the best three-man stretch to start a lineup this season. Michael Harris emerged as a star as well for this team last year. And you look at the pitching, Freed and Strider are going to be just absolute menaces. I think Strider gets easily over 200 strikeouts this year. I am very excited to see this Braves team play. And a little little teaser here, you know, Corey's compiling an article of a lot of us giving our predictions for the best teams in baseball. I have the Braves in my top five. This team, to me, has some serious World Series aspirations. I think the Braves are definitely going to be a playoff team this year. I mean, you have, you're hoping this year Ronald Acuna is going to break out again and come completely back from his injury and play like he was prior to it. I think the thing I'm most interested in is how they went with Orlando Arcia over Vaughn Grissom to, to start the year off, considering that he basically took over at the end of the year last year. And he did pretty well, I thought. And I just, I'm just wondering what the future is for Vaughn Grissom there with Orlando Arcia getting the the start early this year. Yeah, John, that's a good point, Vaughn Grissom, and what's going to happen with him. I'm sure we're going to see him sooner than later. He's somebody that really I thought was going to take over that short, starting shortstop role. I'm surprised that they look like they're going with Arcia, but the Braves are just a team. They're the team to beat in the in the National League East at the very least, if not the National League. They're just really good and well-built all around. Plus, they have a deep, deep rotation. And even their bullpen, which might be one of their weaker spots, just has a lot of really solid pieces like Rysel Iglesias. Left field, I guess, is their weakest spot. And if uh, Eddie Rosario can play any better than he did last year, that's still a very big positive. But let's move on to the Miami Marlins. The Marlins, to me, are like the angels of the National League. I say that because they're a team I always think is going to end up better than they are. Last year, FanDuel had them as my most bet team of 2022. And before you guys say anything, yes, I was in the green betting on them. Because you kind of get an idea of when they're going to win, and that's usually when Sandy Alcantara is on the mound. So let's get into them. Sandy Alcantara is their ace, followed by Jesus Lazardo. Johnny Cueto, Trevor Rogers, and Edward Cabrera. Their lineup, catching Jacob Stallings, first base Garrett Cooper, second base Luis Arias, third base Gene Segura, DHing is Jorge Soler, shortstop Joey Wendell, left field Jesus Sanchez, center field Jazz Chisholm Jr., right field Avisil Garcia. Guys, how's Jazz's transition to center field going to affect his play? And do you think that was the right move for the Marlins to make? I don't know if it was necessarily the right move. I don't think it's going to hurt his performance with the bat. I think it might actually help. I think, you know, it's interesting to see teams start to transition, right? These young athletic shortstops into outfielders because they have strong arms and they have that range. You know, you, you see it with San Diego and they're eventually moving Tatis over to the outfield, you know, jazz Chisholm making the move to center field. I think the move is solid just because they have more depth, 
in the infield. I think it makes them a better team to put Jazz Chisholm in center field. But I don't really like your comparison to the Angels, Corey, and here's why. By no means do the Marlins have the star power that the Angels have had. I think the Marlins are a team that has really done a solid job of putting a team together. And I think that's part of why Derek Jeter actually left the ownership group, because you thought it was time to start going in and spending more money, and they just didn't have the budget he wanted and that's when he's like all right this team's never gonna win i am getting out of here i think they have a very good staff the name on the pitching staff to look out for this year he's had a good year before he had a bit of a down year last year look for him to bounce back it's the lefty trevor rogers i think he is a stud he's someone who can definitely go out there and make some plays and they have bats in the lineup with jacob stallings Luis arias and Jazz Chisholm, Garrett Hampson brings speed, Gene Segura brings experience, Joey Wendell's always been able to hit, and, you know, Avisael Garcia and Jorge Soler, the big money guys in the outfield, let's see what they can do as well. Yeah, I refer to the Marlins as the mid-Marlins. It's a little bit of a disservice just because they play in such a good division. We know that they have the pitching that you guys went in on depth about. I think Jazz in center field is one of the biggest storylines for this team this year. He came out and said he's going to win the gold glove. We'll see about that. But honestly, this just feels like one of those teams that isn't necessarily playoff bound, but every time that your team faces them, you're a little uneasy on whether or not your team is going to walk away with a win or if this team could just blow the doors off them because they do have some firepower on both sides of the ball. I think the Marlins have absolutely fantastic pitching and you'd be on the lookout this year for Sixto Sanchez to see if he can come back and and pitch good too. And I think adding Gene Segura, you know, to their team in the offseason was is going to be really good for their offense. But with moving Jazz Chisholm to center field, the, the only thing I would be worried about is injuries because it seems like center fielders end up getting beat up a lot and they're always seem to be hurt like a lot of the time. That would just be something that I'd be worried about moving him to that position. I got to defend myself for a second against Ben's, I guess, misconstruction of why I said that they're like the angels of the East. Yeah, they they don't have the star power. That's obvious. But I meant it more as they're a team that I always think could sneak in. They should be a wild card team. They're a team that always seem to play better than their record indicates. And I'm always higher on them at the beginning of the season than I am at the end. Jazz Chisholm now. Yeah, he's like an all-star middle infielder. I don't see the need to put him to the outfield. I think they could have found another way to to get the, the guys in the lineup that they needed, especially uh, with the Luis Arias trade. But Jazz wants to do what he wants to do to win. You don't become the cover of MLB The Show 23 by not trying to be a winner. So I expect Jazz to excel, not maybe be a all-star, you know, top-tier center fielder this season, but after playing there for a year or two, he's going to be up there with the uh, the Trouts and all of them of just really good, solid defensive center fielders. Now on to the World Series runner-ups. America's National League team at the very least, the Philadelphia Phillies. They're a team that's suffering a little bit from the injury bug, I would say. But let's get into it. Their rotation, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Taiwan Walker. Ranger Suarez, Bailey Falter, that's their five. Their lineup, they're trotting out JT Realmuto, 
Reese Hoskins tore his ACL. He's out for the year, possibly done as a Philly. I don't expect them to bring him back. So first base is going to be Derek Hall. Originally, I had him as their DH, but now I'm leaving the DH spot open. I'm not sure what they're going to do there, but we'll get into that a little bit. Second base, Bryson Stott. Third base, Alec Bohm. Shortstop, Trey Turner. Left field, Kyle Schwarber. Center field, Brandon Marsh. Right field, Nick Castellanos. Bryce Harper is coming back from injury. He's due back around May 29th. He's progressing a little bit better than expected. But how do the Harper and Hoskins injuries affect the Phillies? I think the Hoskins injury is really going to hurt them more than the Harper one because Harper is going to be back, it seems, earlier than expected this year because they, they opted to not put him on the 60-day IL, which is fantastic and good news for the Phillies and Phillies fans. But losing Hoskins, I think, is going to hurt them a little bit, but I think it's going to hurt them, hurt them a little more and stuff. But Derek Hall stepped up last year in the DH spot when when Harper was was hurt. And he did pretty good, and I think he can step up again this year playing first base for the Phillies. So I think they're in. I think their pitching looks good and everything, too along the lines too. I just I don't. But they also have. But you also Ranger Suarez is also hurt at the start. Is also is also hurt at the moment too. And also Andrew Painter is also hurt. So they have two pitchers hurt also along with Hoskins and Harper. And I think. The Suarez and Painter injuries might hurt them more than the Hoskins and Harper ones. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, John. Hoskins is going to be a big hit for this team, but I agree. I think Hall is someone, you know, who could slot in. And I was joking with you guys before. Philly did give uh, some big money to someone earlier, but it wasn't the baseball team. The Philadelphia Eagles went and handed Lane Johnson, the left tackle, right tackle now, a huge sum of money, over $30 million, which puts him right around Bryce Harper level. I put him at first base, why don't you? But Ranger Suarez there, it's looking like he's not going to be ready by opening day, so the left-hander, Matt Strom, probably is going to slot in. I think, you know, adding Kimbrell to the bullpen is good. It gives Sir Anthony Dominguez, the closer, some room. I don't love Bailey Falter, but the top four in this rotation when Suarez is healthy, it's a strong top four. With Wheeler and Nola at the top, the Phillies know they can confidently go in and compete. I love Taiwan Walker with the Mets last year. Don't necessarily love him going to Citizens Bank Park, but, you know, still solid pitcher. It looks like he's finally figured things out. That year before he came to the Mets, he looked good in that shortened season in 20. He looked good the last two years with the Mets. And really, when you have JT behind the plate, Bohm is Really settled in nicely. He's a great hitter. He's been solid in the field. But the biggest thing was adding Trey Turner. I think it's really, really helping soften this blow, losing a guy like Reese Hoskins. But the biggest surprise last year was Bryson Stott. And I think he's going to be the biggest under-the-radar guy for the Phillies this year. Because he is not only just a good baseball player, but you can tell he knows the game. He plays the game the right way, and he's a very smart baseball player. Yeah, Ben, I think you made some great points there. I'm not too worried about the Hoskins injury for the Phillies, if I'm being entirely honest. This is a guy who had some really good postseason moments and got hot towards the end of the regular season. But his batting average wasn't anything to ride home about. 
And when you start listing the best players on this team and in this lineup, he was coming around sixth or seventh. And I understand he was a great defensive first baseman. But like we all mentioned, they were likely going to move off of him this offseason. The future is just now for the Phillies. You still have Turner, Schwarber, Romuto, Castellanos, Stott, all to start the year. And then you get back an MVP candidate in Bryce Harper in about two months' time. They are going to be loaded. And the pitching, Nola, Wheeler, Walker. And just to break the fourth wall here, Ben is telling me that he does not think Hoskins is a good defensive first baseman. No, he is not. I've seen him make some. I've seen him make some plays. I've seen him. I have seen him lose the Phillies plenty of games as well. There's plenty of guys on the Phillies that have errors to lose games. That's the Philadelphia Phillies way, Ben. Who great defensive (laughs) first baseman is not the take I would go with. Maybe great was an overstatement, but. His defense will be missed, I think, in terms of having to put together a makeshift replacement immediately. But I'm excited to see what they do. And Corey, you were talking about the DH position a little earlier. I just want to touch on that. I think it'll kind of be a merry-go-round of players seeing who's got the right pitching matchup until Harper comes back at the end of May. I would like to touch on the Hoskins uh, defense more. Up until last year, he's been pretty good defensively because like prior to, to last season, He's only average, like he was only getting like two to four errors a season. And then last season, I think he ended up with 12 errors, which was like uncharacteristic for him. And I thought this year he was going to turn that around and actually have us and actually do better defensively than last year's. I think it was a fluke. Let me hop in on that Hoskins debate. I think Hoskins is incredibly overrated. I don't think he's, I think he's barely above average as a player to begin with. I think his presence stems from his early campaigns as like a rookie sophomore where he hit the ball well, but I just don't think he's that great of a player. I think his name brings more than his bat does. As a fielder, he is not very good. He is a very poor defensive player. I think the Harper injury, in my opinion, is a much tougher thing to get around than the Hoskins injury. Harper is an MVP candidate. Harper is fantastic. And getting him back at the end of May, early June, the Phillies just need to tread water and stay afloat till then. Hoskins is there's a loss, yeah, but I think the what he means to the team, especially in a walk year, is getting completely overblown. Corey, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the best way to describe Reese Hoskins is he's a streaky player. He will be outstanding for about a month. And then he'll he'll have a, a couple months where he is just putrid. And again, I yeah, his defense is not there. His defense is not very good. And I know he, the errors weren't necessarily there before, but oof, no. Hoskins last year especially, they were ready to run him out of town even more than Alec Bohm after the three-hour first inning. Yeah, this is just – injuries are tough to get around. Hoskins did hit over 30 home runs last year, but that doesn't mean that he's not – something he's not something more than his name his name brings a lot of value to who he is and i just think hoskins gets inflated because people still think of him as a prospect and what he could be 
Yeah, Corey, I think that Hoskins is more of a locker room loss than a real lineup loss. I know I made the comment about his defense and we kind of got carried away on that, but I didn't want it to take away from the point that I said that this team will be just fine without Reese Hoskins. They were going to be just fine without him next season. They'll be just fine without him this season. Could they perhaps be buyers of a veteran first baseman at the deadline if things with Hall aren't working out? Absolutely. This offseason, we saw the Astros go and get a veteran first baseman in Jose Abreu. Now, I'm not saying that the Phillies are going to acquire a guy to that standard, but there could be a selling team. Maybe the Cincinnati Reds ship Joey Votto off to the Phillies if that's what he would like to do, because obviously they'll do right by him. That would be a fantastic fit, in my opinion. But this team will be buyers at the deadline, especially with that fifth pitcher. We don't know who that'll be. First base. The Phillies have the pieces to get to that deadline and be in contending position, I feel. Name to look out for here, Dom Smith in Washington. Yeah, Dom Smith could be somebody who's caught Luke Voigt still floating around out there. I'd be surprised if he's not brought in. But let's uh, let's move on to another contender, the New York Mets, the Metropolitans. Now, Ben, I know you're going to have a lot to say about this, but let me – Get through their uh, their star-studded rotation. Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Japanese import Kodai Senga, Cookie, Carlos Carrasco, David Peterson. Their lineup catching for them. I got Omar Narvaez, first base Pete Alonso, second base Jeff McNeil, third base Eduardo Escobar, the aging Daniel Vogelback, shortstop Francisco Lindor, left field Marcana, center field Brandon Nimmo, right field Starling Marte. Now, I'm sure this isn't going to be their opening day lineup. I would hope it's not. But what's up with Beatty, Alvarez, Vientos, and Mauricio? When do we see these guys, and when do the Mets actually want them to start contributing? I think the plan was for Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos to start contributing this year. Alvarez was optioned down. He's had a putrid spring. Clearly, he just needs some more time. And okay, that's fine. I think they like what they have catching-wise right now. That's why they went and brought in Omar Navarez. And I think they really like Tomas Nito. Nito was fantastic for them last year when he played and ended up taking over the starting role from James McCann. I think Beatty and Vientos will contribute a little bit more this year. Ronnie Mauricio has really shown the pop this spring, hitting a ton of home runs for a guy who... Maybe wasn't expected to hit four home runs and 33 at-bats, eight RBIs. He did grab a stolen base. Uh, and, you know, the fielding is there. And the biggest thing, though, to look at is they don't necessarily need Ronnie Mauricio to come up and be a shortstop just yet. So, you know, take your time with Mauricio. The guy is just 21 years old right now. He turns 22 uh, in just a couple weeks. So really not a big rush for Mauricio. Same thing with Brett Beatty. I think, you know, he's going to end up getting a lot of time at third base. I think it's going to turn into more of a platoon with Eduardo Escobar. You'll see Beatty play against the right-handers. Escobar, his stronger side has been hitting from the right side. So I think they'll keep Escobar against the lefties and Beatty against the righties. We might even see those guys work in DH sometimes when uh, Vogelback is not going to be in the lineup against the lefty. Danny Mendick was a big guy to bring in. I hope Darren Ruff just gets DFA'd at some point. I cannot stand him. Was not happy to see him. I'd rather see Vientos on the roster. 
on opening day. I liked what he brought towards the end of the year. Couple of home runs this spring, hitting 278, 11 RBIs. I think Vientos has looked good, and the guy can hit. That's the big thing. He's someone who's going to work for some time DHing as well, I think, through the stretch as this season goes on against left-handed pitching. But the rotation is strong. I like bringing in Robertson to add depth to the bullpen, but losing Edwin Diaz is going to be big. How they replace that, I'm not too sure. Whether Tyler McGill ends up in the rotation, they have rotation depth. So that's a big part as well for the New York Mets. Eventually, uh, they'll see Quintana come back, maybe, who knows. But, you know, thankfully, uh, Quintana, it's not as serious as they thought. It's not cancerous, but... You know, for for Quintana, it's looking like he's not going to be back till uh, the summer. So that'll be like a trade deadline acquisition. Apparently, the Mets have liked John Curtis out of the bullpen. Uh, they have Nagosik, who's someone who maybe comes up. But Adovino and Robertson and Brooks Raley are going to be the big guys out of the bullpen with Edwin Diaz now out for the season. So there really is just going to be a lot to look at with this team. Don't think Brandon Nimmo may or may not be ready opening day if that's the case. Tommy Pham may slot in. They might move uh, Canna over to center and let Brett Beatty play a little bit in left field, which is what they were talking about doing when they had signed Carlos Correa before that fell through. There's a lot of questions. And yeah, the big losing Diaz is definitely the biggest move of the year, just because think about how much it was talked about, how big it was for the Mets to bring Diaz back last year into that contract they signed him to. You sign those players to those big contracts for the earlier years, not the later years, especially as a reliever. It's a huge loss for the Mets. Yeah, Ben, you know, one thing we could certainly agree on is the amount of depth that this New York Mets team has is almost, and I will say it, it's scary for every other team. This is a team that can kind of take some injuries on the chin, especially throughout this long regular season, and keep it moving while still having a consistently good lineup. They've got the best starting pitching depth and just overall starting pitching room in the MLB, in my opinion. And the one thing that I'll say, I'm a big proponent of playing the young guys. And I think by the all-star break, Brett Beatty needs to be the everyday third baseman for the New York Mets. Have Escobar and Vogel back, switch on DH days, who's ever hot. But you have a guy like Beatty who really has star potential. You can't just be sitting him for Escobar and Vogel back all season year. I know Vogel back doesn't play third. I just meant in terms of having him in the lineup, FYI. And when you have that potential, you got to capitalize on it, especially when his replacements, the guys that you're keeping in over him, aren't nothing to ride home about. I agree. They may not be anything to ride home about, but Escobar was fantastic in September and really was the key player in their offense and helped them get to or stay in the division race. But I think it's more important to realize with this team, they're in win-now mode. So you play the guys that are going to help you win now. That's the most important thing to look at the Mets team. They're one of the older teams in the league. So the window, it's not opening any further. I got to touch on something you said before, Ben. Any Met fan that's banking on Jose Quintana to even contribute a little bit to this team needs to wake up and join reality. Stop kidding yourself. 
Quintana is a terrible player. He cannot play baseball. He's a horrible pitcher. Now, I'm glad that it wasn't cancerous what they found, but just get him out of your mind. He is not a midseason acquisition. If anything, he's going to be a detriment to your team, a la Frankie Montas with the Yankees. He's not a good player. You're better off throwing out there with your other guys like McGill who I think is a really solid player. I love Tyler McGill. I think he's somebody that should get looks into the rotation, even over David Peterson, who's another solid arm. But I put Quintana below both of them, barring hoping everybody stays healthy. The Mets bullpen still scares me, especially without Diaz. David Robertson, and he's old. Is he really going to be your closer and be able to consistently close? Adovino, you know, the man says he could strike out Babe Ruth, but we've seen him as a Met not play all that well at times losing Lugo to the Padres very very big loss the Mets have a lot of question marks I'm not sure their question marks put them above other teams in their division they do have the oldest roster in baseball they definitely have the oldest rotation in baseball does Max Scherzer stay at that high level can Justin Verlander keep playing in a Cy Young caliber way? Does father time catch up to both of them? Because at some point, the bill comes due and talent will go down. It's just a lot of question marks that remain to be answered for the Mets. I agree, Corey. There's a lot of questions, and I think Diaz going down really does open a lot of questions for that bullpen. I don't think Robertson's going to be the closer. I think it's going to be a combination. Uh, I think it's going to be closer by committee, really just going Buck Showalter playing around with it. Maybe Brooks Raley or Ottavino slides in. I think Ottavino had a, he had a solid year last year. He had a really good year, and he was their second best arm behind Diaz in the bullpen. So definitely I feel confident in Ottavino. But to say Quintana's not a good player really just doesn't feel fair to me. Over 315 start, 315 starts in his career and a 375 career ERA. 32 starts last year and a 293 ERA with two separate teams. Yeah, 21, he had a rough year, but his ERA has stayed in the fours the previous four seasons before that after starting his career with five dominant seasons. So, you know, this is not a guy who's just a bad player. While I agree with you, I don't think he's going to be the most important piece for this rotation, especially come July. But, you know, he's someone who definitely adds depth. If you ask any team in the league right now, it, it, would you take Jose Quintana as your seventh starter? You best believe the answer is yes. I don't believe it. I really don't think he's – and I, I just don't think he's capable of pitching at that level – he had a nice resurgence last year. I'm not going to discount that. But that's pitching for the Pirates where there's absolutely no pressure. He pitched in St. Louis. Pretty, I was just about to say with St. Louis, but St. Louis is known for having remarkable arms and being able to work with pitchers. Outside of that, he hasn't been good since he went from the Cubs to the White Sox. Ever since then, he just has not been a MLB caliber arm. He has struggled over the last, I don't know, five, six years since that trade was made. And even then, he wasn't coming off of it. He was coming off of one great year that he was having. It wasn't like he was an established, dominant arm like a Luis Castillo that we saw moved at the deadline last year. I just think that the Mets need to look past Quintana and dig down deep to find somebody worthy of that seventh spot. I just, I, I don't know. 
I'm not a big Quintana guy. Maybe that's just what it is. I just think the Mets can do better than him. I mean, hey, I again, seventh starter. That's not that's someone who's in AAA. So I'm not too worried about it. John, I feel bad because I have just been jumping all over the Mets here. So we do got to let you get your points in. No, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you what you think of Pete Alonso after because I don't. He didn't. I don't think he really did much in the WBC, and I think I don't even think he saw a plate appearance in, in the final game against Japan. No, I, look, Pete. Pete struggled a bit, but he got that one hit, uh, that bloop single, and that's really all it takes. He had a home run today in spring training. I am not in any sh- way, shape, or form worried about the polar bear, and I think it's important to point out. John Smoltz was constantly raving about how in shape Pete Alonso looked compared to last year. And I think that's really going to help him. He looks stronger. He looks sleeker. He looks faster. He is always like talked about how he is the best power hitter in the league. He has more home runs since he entered the league than anybody. And, you know, for Pete Alonso, He's always talked about how he his biggest goal is to go win a gold glove. He is always striving to be better, and that's what I love about Pete Alonso. I just think Pete Alonso might end up having a slower start this year after just the WBC and just how you know how to do. But you said he had a home run in spring training today, so maybe he's you know back on track now. But I still think the Mets are they're a fantastic team and they're going to be fighting for first place in this NL East with the Phillies and the Braves. And even though they have a lot of injuries now, like we talked about, you guys talked about it a lot with their their depth. I think they just have a lot of good players that can come in, step in and fill in roles where they need it and they can still do good. Whoa, whoa, whoa. slow your role there, John. Fighting for first with the Braves and Phillies. I don't know. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, don't you think? I Phillies? I don't I don't disagree with them. I think this is a three-team race, potentially four if the Marlins can be good. All right, we're really getting ahead of ourselves with the Marlins. <laughs> <laughs> I I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past the Phillies. I think I think the Phillies are certainly I mean, look, they just went to the World Series last year and I like you know, unlike Atlanta where I think Atlanta maybe took a step back, I think Philadelphia only went forward. I think, you know, like you said, Corey, the Hoskins injury is you think isn't going to be that big of a deal. This is a team that went to the World Series last year. How can you say that they're not going to compete? I could say it just like this. They're not going to compete. But uh, (laughs) I'm not saying that they're not going to compete. I'm just saying that I don't think they're going to compete for first place. I don't think they're anywhere near the roster that the Mets or Braves have. And they need a lot more than injuries to happen to even get to that point. They lucked into the playoffs last year. And they didn't do anything long-term. Again, they got Trey Turner, but I don't think that puts them anywhere above or even at the Mets or Braves level. But guys, let's get into it. Let's get into our predictions on how we think this NL East is going to, you know, shuffle out. In last place, let's go worst to first, create some tension here. Last place, I got the Washington Nationals. I have them going 63-99. and a little better than last year. You got a lot of young guys coming up. Dakota has them at 61 and 101. Yeah, Corey, I guess technically I land more with Dakota here. I have them as about a 60 win team. I think they're a team that really tries out a lot of the young guys and has that flexibility to do so. They know they're not contending for a World Series, a playoff berth, or even anything aside from fourth place in this division if they were to be lucky at best, in my opinion. I mentioned the guys I'm looking forward to, Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, but this is a 60-win club. Yeah, I agree with you, Dylan, there. I think they are 
one of those teams closer to 60. I think the division is tough. I don't see a lot of wins for them really in the entire league. I think this is just a team going through a lot and they're, they're going to, they're going to have a very difficult time just winning games anywhere they go, whether it's in the division, out of the division. It's what happens when you're one of the worst teams in the league. Washington won their world series in 2019. The rebuild started in 21 and that's where this team is now. I mean, the Washington Nationals are just basically rebuilding and seeing who they like, you know, who they got and some of these young players and stuff. So I wouldn't expect them to get over 60 wins. Now in fourth place, I have the Philadelphia. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I got the Miami Marlins. I have them going 75 and 87. Pakoda, very high on them. Have them going 80 and 82, all in fourth place. Yeah, I think that a 500 record for this team feels possible especially with the schedule change they're not going to be just completely facing the Phillies Mets and Braves over and over and over again with the new even schedule they'll get some more breathing room and we'll see that the Marlins actually are a better team than the fourth place looks on them I do think they could be in 500 club but I'd lean high 70s maybe 78 79 wins for this team yeah, I agree. I see them right around 500. I think they'll hover around it most of the season. I think that this is a team with some talent. They've got young players, whether or not they pan out yet. If Jazz Chisholm can truly be that superstar that they've been, you know, just hungry for and, you know, they bring in Arias, they'll have they'll have the offense this year. That's what they were trying to get last year. That's why, you know, they sacrificed one of those young pitchers in Pablo Lopez for Arias because they know that this is a team that needs to be able to score runs if they're going to compete in the National League East. I think that they have a good plan. I like the direction that the Marlins are going. They have that young pitching staff. Uh you know, it's just, are they going to be good enough to compete with the Phillies, the Mets, and the Braves? And the answer is no. I actually really like the Marlins, and I think their pitching is fantastic. And I think they went out and, you know, their offenses, I think they went and made their offense a little better this year. So I wouldn't, you know, be surprised if they got 80 wins this year. No, it certainly wouldn't be surprising. I do think the Marlins are going to fly under the radar, be a team that surprises a lot of people. I just don't know if they're going to be able to keep it up. They're going to go on a stretch. I wouldn't be surprised if they won like 10, 11 games in a row and people start talking about them like, are the Marlins for real? Who are these guys? And then they kind of come back down to earth. It's just a long season. And I think the Marlins are on a very solid upward trajectory. I just think the top of the division is too heavy for them to climb over. Next up, though, third place, I do have the Philadelphia Phillies. I have them going 86 and 76. Pakoda has them at 88 and 74. I just don't think the Phillies have the roster to compete with the Mets and Braves over the course of 162. Getting to the playoffs, that's a different story, but over a long season, I just don't think the talent level's there. Yeah, Corey, I want to jump in and agree with you because from the sound of our discussion earlier, Ben and John may not. I think this team is the third best team in the division, especially over a 162-game season. The Braves and the Mets have a ton more depth than the Phillies. Injuries are going to happen. We've seen it before the season's already started. They lost Reese Hoskins, who I think we could all agree is this team's fifth or sixth best player when healthy, and there was a debate on how they would handle that. 
What happens if a Kyle Schwarber or a Trey Turner has to miss some extended time? This team could be in some serious trouble. Now, obviously, we can't predict injuries, but we know that they'll happen. And I think this team, on a nightly basis, could go head-to-head with anybody, which is why, again, in the playoffs, they will be a scary matchup that nobody wants to face. But over a long season, I do think they're third best in the division, and I feel like 87-88 wins feels just about right. Yeah, I think that this team can crack 90 wins, but the bottom line is they are the third best team in the division. I think they the the National League East this year isn't going to be like last year where it was the Mets and Braves at the top and the Phillies kind of just hanging around. I think it's going to be more the Braves at the top and the Mets and the Phillies fighting for that spot. I think the Mets are better with their depth i think their depth definitely helps them i think their rotation is better not to mention the fact the mets head-to-head against the phillies just seem to dominate them really since 2015 and that trend hasn't stopped and changed and the Mets just love going to Citizens Bank Park they love coming back against the Phillies in CBP and really just with what the Mets bring to the table I don't know if the Phillies necessarily are going to be able to compete with them like Dylan said injuries happen this is a team that can compete with anybody their top two in the rotation is as good as anybody's in the league I don't care what you say Zach Wheeler is really good and Aaron Nola is one of the premier pitchers in this league he is certainly a top 10 starting pitcher I love what Aaron Nola brings when he has his a game even as a Mets fan I can watch Aaron Nola pitch any day of the week and that's what he can do that's what the Phillies can do so yeah come playoff time this is a dangerous team with the amount of home runs they can hit and the top two guys in the rotation but in terms of the regular season you need five starters I don't think that the Phillies have five that could compete with the top two teams in this division I think the Phillies can hang up there with the Braves and the Mets. This offseason, they made they made a lot of moves and got a lot of good players. They added Craig Kimbrell, Taiwan Walker, Matt Strom, Trey Turner, and Gregory Soto. Those are all all very, you know, big names and stuff. And they definitely beefed up their pitching a lot. And I think even if like if Schwarber goes down or Castellanos goes down or someone else goes down. I think they still do have some depth there that they can plug guys in and do well. You don't even, you know, you don't need them to be superstars or anything because they have a lot of like really good players around them with like Trey Turner and Bryce Harper is going to be back by May. And a lot of these guys, I mean, a lot of the stuff, like, I mean, injuries are going to happen, but I think they still have a lot of players there around them. It's hopefully, you know, not multiple players going down all at once. But I think if you lose, like, you know, one guy here or there for stuff, it's not going to kill them. And I think it's still going to keep them in the race there. I mean, because Bohm ha- Bohm's having a really good spring training. His swing looks good. I think he's going to be hitting a lot better. You know, I think Castellanos is going to have a better year this year. I think Schwerber's going to hit better for average this year. Because last year, even though he had all those home runs, he was only, I think he only, he was batting around 204. So I'm, but I'm thinking this year he's going to settle in more. And I think he's going to be hitting around 250 with those home runs. And then you got Edmundo Sosa, who I think might end up maybe splitting time with, with Stodd or possibly Marsh in the outfield, kind of being like a utility guy. And, and he did, he did very good towards the end of the year too. And also there's some, you know, questions about Scott Kingerly because he's been having a pretty good spring too. I think the Phillies can hang in there, and I wouldn't be surprised. I think they're going to be fighting for first with the the Braves and Mets. Second place, I have the Atlanta Braves, 94 and 68. 
Fakoda has them at 90 and 72. I think it's going to be a fight to the very end. I just think that the Braves don't get that edge on the Mets like they did last season. Yeah, Corey, this is where we disagree. I think the Braves win this division. I think they could be a 100-win team. I love their pitching. I love their lineup. Having a consistent full season of Acuna, I think, will be the difference, and I think will send them to first place. I have the Braves in first place as well. I think that the Atlanta Braves are the best team in the division. I think with the injuries that the Mets and Phillies are already dealing with will be enough to keep the Braves from that slow start. Think about it. They've had, they had a really just slow, tough start to the season last year, once again, and then went and won 101 games. I think they're the only team in the National League East to win 100 games this year. Yeah, I mean, the Mets and the Braves, I think, are the two teams in at least to have a chance at 100. They're definitely one of a couple of handful of teams that can actually get to the 100 win in the whole league. But I have the Mets winning the division, 96 and 66. Pakota has them at 94 and 68. I just think the change to the schedule where you have to play every team kind of hampers the Mets a little bit because they don't get to beat up on the Nationals and the Marlins, although they don't really seem to beat up on those bad teams to begin with. I just think that the Mets are going to take this division, and I think that they're going to be a force come October. Yeah, Corey, I really like the Mets, especially come October, but I think that there's just more of a learning curve of identity. With depth comes a lot of figuring out what your best lineup is, and I do think that could get them off to a slow start, especially with some of the injuries that they already do have, which is why I have the Braves just eke them out, but a playoff matchup between any three of the top two teams in this division would be fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait until teams actually start picking who their postseason opponent's going to be. I think that's going to be just a ton of fun to watch. But, you know, looking at the Mets, I think losing Diaz is big. And like Corey said earlier, their bullpen has a lot of questions. And, you know, that's a lot of games that Edwin Diaz locked down. Let's say you lose five of them. Think about it in 2019 and Diaz's first season with the Mets. How many blown saves the Mets had that year? And when Diaz wasn't good, there are a lot of questions. I think that the Mets win 95 games. I think the Phillies are right around 93. Well, that's going to do it for this one, guys. Thanks for talking NL East with me. Tune in for the AL East next time. Follow us on our socials, OutsiderSports.net, Twitter, OutsiderSports3. Search OutsiderSports on YouTube to watch some shorts. But until then, keep tuning in to all the great stuff we're doing here on the Outsider Sports.